Welcome to Directly Correct, a Felix podcast with Colin Scott. Today's guest, nobody. There you go. There we go. I love it. Thanks to our sponsors, Polynode. Harness the full power of organizational network analysis with Polynode. With one-click data integrations and built-in relationship-based surveys, Polynode enables people analytics practitioners to move from data to insights faster. To learn more and see why Polynode is trusted by some of the most innovative companies in the world today, book a demo at polynode.com slash directionally correct. How do you ease into a podcast? That's a question I have yet to answer. Well, I mean, I think that you and I have better perspective on this than anybody out there because there's no one to really ask, right? And no. I, we, we can ask each other and we get mm-hmm. each other's opinion, but it's not easy, right? It's not easy to like force conversation and try and guide it, et cetera. Well, that's kind of my first um, rule is, is it a conversation or is it an interview? And if it's an interview, it's not fun, generally speaking. But if it's a conversation, it has the possibility for fun. I mean, like I, I strive for us to get more conversational, but it, it's tough. It's tough. It is. Everybody, when that little red light goes on, um, yeah, yeah, it's like uh, Hal from uh, two thousand one Space Odyssey. I actually watched that for the first time not that that long ago. Really, I'd never seen it. I don't, I've heard like all the cultural references, never seen it, and then uh, I watched it. I was like, wow, this movie is way freakier than I thought it would be, like the monolith and all that. Oh, at the very beginning and and end, it's been yeah. Like I think there's a really end. trippy, like twenty minute section at the end where it's just like going through, like it looks like a lava lamp most of the time. Yeah, yeah. It's very crazy, trippy movie. I was like, wow, they used to do wild stuff in movies back in the day. Oh, that's Stanley Kubrick, man. Yeah. Uh, I don't think there's dialogue for the first like forty minutes or something like that. Two thousand. Yeah. Like, talk about what you can't get away with in 2023. <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to Google it real quick, see if I can figure it out. But yeah, there, there's no dialogue until they break into, like, ostensibly modern times. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of it's just, like, setup shot, shots. So, like, the guy on the space station, like, running, like, mm-hmm. he, that's how he's getting his exercise, and the other guy eating his little, like, protein meal in the tv tray you know yeah well it's it's very it's very bizarre it's just oh, a yeah. very bizarre movie i liked it though i was like i wish they made more movies like this you know i mean that would be relegated to like art house sort of stuff right i guess i feel it's, like there was a time where popular movies could also kind of stretch boundaries now it's like another superhero movie great or like, let's take a TV show from the '80s or '90s and turn it into a movie with yeah. or reimagine it, which is not good either. Yeah, yeah, you don't really get these sort of creative movies, and when they like hit, I mean, in in my mind, like the movie industry is over. It just doesn't know it yet. You know how so? Well, it's like, I mean, I, I guess like Napoleon is out right now. Mm. Um, there was Oppenheimer, there was Barbie, but there's just not the level of blockbusters that keep the whole industry afloat like they used to have, you know? So like two thoughts here. Uh, how did that come about? Like where we don't have Space Odyssey 2001. Is it because you got so much corporate, as soon as you get bureaucracy, that, that's the antithesis of creativity. Right. This is people trying to cover their ass and like understand exactly what the customer wants and all this sort of stuff at at, at the expense of, hey, let's make something great that is really compelling. Well, I think it went from, to use a metaphor, from like a venture capital model to like a regular investment model, meaning there was a point in time where you would make like big bets and sometimes they yeah. pay off and sometimes they wouldn't. And so you lose money, but you also make up for it with these huge hits like, you know, Star Wars or something mm-hmm. like the originals. Um, whereas now they're wanting to just like get a stable return on these movies. And the only way you can get stable returns is with known commodities. You can't ever take a risk. 
right? I, I think I think that's fair. So like, take something like the Blair Witch Project. It was made for like a hundred thousand dollars, and let, let's say on the back end, it made ten million dollars. So net profit, nine point what nine yeah. million dollars. Great. Or you could make uh, Thor for three hundred million dollars, and it makes four hundred million dollars net profit. $100 million, despite the fact that you spent way more money creating it. Yeah, I think it's not about the profit. I think it's about the risk taking. I think they just don't want to have the risk of potentially losing money. It's kind of like the whole um, like behavioral economics, you know, loss aversion. You know, people would, would rather, you know, make less money, but not have the chance to lose money than make more money and have a chance to lose, which again is kind of the venture capital model. I think that we're, I mean, we've had a million discussions about, you know, AI or generative AI. I mm-hmm. think that we're going to reach a period where, I mean, the, the, it's always, it's already right now where someone will tell me about a TV show. And I'm like, I, I don't know. That's there's 4,000 TV shows you're telling me about. And I can't keep up with all of them, but I think there's going to be a time where you're going to have personalized TV shows and movies for you based on what you enjoy and it won't be relevant to Cole because it's only relevant to Scott. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you brought this up. I guess I've been thinking about this concept lately. It's like that's there's like a trend in society where you went from, I don't know, like in 1950, there's three television channels and everybody sees the same stuff. Yes. To ultimate personalization. So it's complete conformity to complete uniformity. Or did I say yeah, that backwards? Yeah, 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 yeah. I got you. Yeah. And it made me think of the movie or did you ever see the show on HBO Westworld? Oh, I loved Westworld. Yeah. I love and the like original the, movie too. It's great. Yeah. When the in the first season of Westworld, it's like everybody shows up to this metaphorical universe of what it was like in the old Wild West, but you got to choose your own adventure. So no two people had the same experiences at this theme park. You want to go kill a guy, go kill a guy. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to go do some lewd behavior, go do some lewd behavior. But it really, and, and if you wanted it to be very like family friendly, it's family friendly. But if you want it to be extremely X-rated, it's extremely X-rated. And, and so I feel like that's what's going to happen to all aspects of our life. It's like, there's going to be no, you know, there's going to be no experiences where we all have a common understanding of each other anymore. I mean, that that's the the point that i was essentially getting at i i I like this idea though but because that social experience is partly why you would watch say the office because you can go talk to your friend about it and wasn't michael scott really funny the other day if we're all like segmented into our own reality which we already kind of are you already kind of are you lose that sort of uh social cohesion with other folks and relatedness I'll tell you, I've been going down this rabbit hole lately and it makes me realize this fact of like about like all the UFO stuff. <laughs> wait, 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 what? Yeah. Exactly. It's like if you ask like eight out of 10 people walking down the street, have they heard like what's going on with all this UFO stuff? <laughs> they would have no clue. But there was like all these congressional testimonies about like maybe like UFOs are real. Maybe the government has them in their possession. And I've been going deep down this rabbit hole. Um, but the thing this- is, like it's Roswell, not generalizable. Like 1945. They're whatever. actually speculating that that the government has had crash UFOs ever since Roswell. It's very like again. I'm very deep into this right now. It is uh, it's fascinating to me. I but love here's conspiracy the theory, Cole. This is great. But it's not a conspiracy theory. It was literally testifying before Congress. Like these are real things that are really on the news. But the thing, my point is not about UFOs. It's about fragmentation. Is there was a point in time where you know if there was a bombshell testimony in front of Congress everybody in America would have heard about it. Yeah. Whereas right now it's only if you have interest in this space that you've heard about it. And, and so you can talk to, you know, a person off the street and they'll be like, Oh yeah, we're about to find out the truth, man. Capital T UFOs are real, man. And then other people are like, what are you talking about? And, and so it's very, it's a very interesting phenomena. Yeah. I mean, like when our parents were, uh, you know, middle age or what have you. Uh, Walter Cronkite was the voice of the nation that he would deliver the news and everyone essentially had that same, mm-hmm. you know, it's source of information. But to your point now with social media, 
uh, everyone's algorithm treats them differently. So quite literally, the people on the left and the people on the right can't talk to each other because yeah. they get different news. And also to your point, the news becomes so fragmented, it'd be hard to develop any sort of like uprising or, you know, uh, mm, cohesion around the truth yeah. because cohesion, it doesn't relate like, to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. General sense, like sense of what's going on. Like what are the facts? What What's happening? It's tough to find. I don't know. I mean, Coop, uh, Stanley Kubrick, uh, he was also the one that uh, everyone thinks that faked the moon landing. So, I mean, we're coming kind of full circle here. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know much about that. that. It's wild. Like uh, uh, The Shining. He directed The Shining, Stephen King novel. And there's all sorts of great. There's a movie called uh, Room 272 that breaks down Mm -hmm. all the conspiracy theories in that movie. It's fantastic. But there's a scene where, I think his name is Bobby. I can't remember. But he's like playing with toys on the carpet and the shining starts happening. Or like, you Mm -hmm. know, it's like the creepy music anyway. And he's he's got a rocket ship uh, uh, sweater on. And he stands up and everyone's like, okay, that means that Kubrick's telling the world that he actually directed the, uh, falsified the moon landing. And this is him trying to explain to the world. I'll be honest. I've never seen The Shining. It's another one of those movies where I've only seen it with pop culture and like Family Guy or something, but I've never actually seen the real thing. Number one all time. Best movie ever. Really? Okay. Well, maybe in 20 years, like uh, Stanley Kubrick's movie, I'll see. (laughs) Or like uh, uh, 2001, I'll see it. In in fairness, I think that came out like in 1969. So you got a little ways. You got a little ways. Okay. That's good. <laughs> hey, um, we we've been uh we've made it another six months. So congratulations. Did we? Well done. Wow. Yeah. White knuckling it. White knuckling it. We barely made it by. But uh, I was curious if you wanted to do a look back on some of your favorite moments over the last six months. Any guests? Any things we you wish we would have talked about but didn't? Or any special moments? Anything funny? I don't know. No, That's not really. I'm I'm good. I'm okay. Moving. Cool. <laughs> no, I kid, of course. I kid, of course. All right. No, boy, it, it's amazing. Like to think about like all the people we've talked to. Uh, yeah, some of the highlights for me was like Doug Shagam, the Campions. They were great. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Fred Oswalt. Like I've haven't I've only talked to him like once or twice at conferences, but like he was a ton of fun. Yeah, dude, he was fantastic. I will say he did. I think he's just outside the window the last six months, but still, I'd love to give him a shout too. And who's that? Know, did, you, did you have a favorite or Fred Fred Oswald? Fred, you, yeah. Oh man, they're they're all my babes, you know. Like, <laughs> how can, how can you pick one over the other? Well, I definitely liked them all. I, I would say I actually thought Doug was probably my favorite. I think he might be the most likable guy on earth. <laughs> like I. I like he's just so nice and i'm like okay and it was it was very informative too he's clearly a very intelligent guy i was like wow this is fantastic so i really enjoyed that one i took two things away from the doug conversation like well three things like yes he is like just a lovable nice guy but uh, one thing is uh he said that he would teach me the double bass drum pedal yeah which, which feels like insane and uh two i just love the idea of him like sneaking onto the golf course in the middle of the night to get a few holes in. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy to go on the golf course in the middle of the night. Like <laughs> it's like, and I think he's in Florida. It's like an alligator going to get you. I mean, come on. Like, <laughs> Well, I, I'll say this. Um, some folks, there were some other interesting moments. Like I feel like Nicole Ledich, I learned a lot, like a lot of new concepts from her that I wasn't familiar with, but I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Other t- two other people that, I, I thought I, I was kind of kicking myself. I wish we could have had him on later was both guru and Charles Handler. Once the, you know, president Biden's AI order came out and the European order that came out recently too. I would love to have people with that background on to kind of explain what's going on and what are the pros and cons and all of that. That would have been fantastic as well. Well, I mean, like, I, I don't think that there's any, rule against us having the people back on again because this is going to come oh, yeah. up more and more frequently right like as, mm-hmm. as people figure out what even generative ai is 
and much less how to you know, wrangle it or how to yeah. use it. We're going to need more of these sort of conversations. Well, it's fantastic to have people on like the campions you mentioned, like really premier researchers and then the Paul Sackett one. I mean, goodness gracious, he's doing some of the most impactful research that's going on out there. And then, you know, cool people like Dan George. Dan was awesome. I thought he was a fun guest. So, yeah, I think we just had a really great slate of people. So Paul Sackett, like I think that he has stumbled upon uh, something really insightful, i.e. that uh, – the previous study, why am I freaking blanking here? Um, Schmidt and Hunter. Schmidt and Hunter, they did not uh, use corrections appropriately. Mm-hmm. So he uh, identified a method to uh, better correct that data. I'm still not convinced that cognitive ability doesn't work for uh, knowledge jobs. I think it's going to be like wildly predictive. It's right there in the title, knowledge job. Oh, we're coming back to that later in this episode. I've got a treat for you that. I think oh, okay, okay. So I'm glad you teed that up because uh, I.e. I. like Cole and I haven't talked about any of this. If it no the show. <laughs> the Cole and Scott episodes—they're the best because they truly are completely improvis- improvisational. Um, like we, we have a very loose understanding of what either of us to bring into the table. <laughs> um, I'm just a, t- a ton of actual, uh, great guests. And uh, I, I know that you've, uh, secured most of these, like super thankful to you. Oh, come on, man. It's a, it's, a, it's a team effort. Like Alec Levinson always says people analytics is a team sport. So I think, uh, this podcast wouldn't, wouldn't be what it is without, you know, both of us and the amazing guests that we brought on, but. I think I've said this before, and I don't mind saying it again. The Cole and Scott episodes are my favorite. They're they're oh, fun. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, but we are coming up on 2024. Yeah, when this thing comes out, it'll actually be 2024. Actually, man, it living in the future, just like Stanley Kubrick. Yeah, wild movie. <laughs> well, do you have any? I know last year we had kind of put out some new year's resolutions of what, what we were thinking about for the upcoming year. Do you have any new year's resolutions for this upcoming year? Well, I mean, that's where I was coming to right there. Like what is it actually, what do we want to get out of 2024? You know, um, it, it feels like so much of life is just kind of like a flow. You kind of get sucked into like the stream and just kind of like carry yeah. along. So Inertia. yeah. So one, I'd like to prioritize the work that I want to take care of, you know, I, I get asked to do so many different things, but I, I want to follow the energy. Like, where's the energy yeah. taking me? What brings me joy and that sort of thing, which leads me to like point two, like there's been several projects, largely creative projects that I've been thinking about for anywhere from five to 10 years. And mm-hmm. I haven't made any progress on them whatsoever. Like even just like a small, like 30 minutes, just do a little bit, make some yeah. sort of headway would go a long way. So I'm going to start trying to get into the sort of things that bring me joy. That's my 2024 plan. What about you, dude? We're going to have some eddies in the flow of the river. I love that. Eddies Um, in the flow. Yeah. Actually more like, more like build my own canal. That's what I want to do. I'm going to go like a channel off to the side. Well, do you have any like of these ideas you wouldn't want to pursue for like five or 10 years that you'd be willing to share? Uh, I like already shared one on the pod with one of our guests. I can't remember when, uh, but essentially create a Harry Potter style, uh, portrait in my house. So essentially record people, have them Mm -hmm. sit there for five to 10 minutes, look around, you know, this sort of thing, put it on a, I'm thinking like a raspberry Pi right now Mm -hmm. by a monitor, put a little frame around it, just have it on a loop. Uh, Raspberry Pi draws almost no power whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And uh, it'd be like a fun like conversation piece. That would be. So I have to go a layer deeper here because I think it's an awesome idea. Who are the people going to be? That's the big question. Like, is it going to be me? Like, am I going to be on your wall? <laughs> or who is it going to be strangers? Like, who is it? Well, I, it wouldn't be strangers. I mean, like trying to talk a stranger to sitting there for five minutes would be... A heavy task. I think but, you could do that in Seattle. I think they'd do it. Shit, you don't know the people here. They're cold <laughs> as ice. My God. My God, people here are cold. Um, 
No, you know, like close friends and family. We'll see if you make the cut. We'll see. Let's see if I make the cut. All right. They'll give me something to cut. aspire to. That'll be my New Year's resolution is to make the cut. You know? <laughs> You'll start calling me Scotty, like yeah. the close people in the inner circle. Maybe. Or, I don't know. I don't know if I'm, I'm willing to make that sacrifice. You know? But I, I, have a, I have a couple other projects, but I won't uh, bore people with those sort of things. But I do love the idea of a Harry Potter style painting. Maybe maybe you can even like layer over some sort of like effects so it actually yeah. does look like a painting. That's but, a fantastic uh, idea. What about you, bud? Yeah. I've been thinking about like, um, so two years ago, I just think it's it's really silly to do New Year's resolutions that you don't keep. Like, oh, I'm going to lose 15 pounds this year. And then, you know, it doesn't happen. Right. Or you give up in like January or something at the end of January. And so like two years ago, I did the kind of getting my name out there and yeah. really kind of stuck with it, you know, to this day. Last year, I said I wanted to kind of decrease the delta between my public self and my private self. And I, I really like, I, I don't know if you'd agree with this, but I really tried to lean into that more on the pod this past year of like, you know, in the past, I'm like, ah, oh, I always want to sound smart. I always want to like, you know, be the guy like that's never vulnerable or anything like that. And I've really tried to, I don't know, try to lean into that a little bit more and made some progress in that area. And so kind of within that vein, one of the things I've been thinking about lately is like keeping my ego in check and and like you know when your career one of the things that's it's always been important to me is like getting credit for doing good work and i think one of my new year's resolutions for this year is to not ever worry about taking credit for things and giving credit very generously to others and i think that like on the personal front also kind of related um i made this linkedin post not that long ago about doing personal coaching for other folks in the people analytics space. And I'm pretty excited. I'm probably going to be coaching a few folks this next year on doing people analytics more effectively and hopefully, you know, making some other folks shine. And so, I don't know, I'm just kind of excited about that as a, a new year's resolution for this coming year. And again, hopefully I can stick with it. So you're going to take credit for the coaching of people by not taking yeah. credit. For, for I want them coaching. to, I want them to <laughs> tell, tell me more about that uh, as far as like taking credit because I have an orientation to it. But uh, yeah. what, what do you mean? Like, well, like uh, I, I find this you've heard me rant privately, but also we've talked about a little bit on the podcast of my disdain for performance reviews and that type of thing. Yeah. But one of the things when you're working in like a corporate environment and you're working, you're trying to work your way up the ladder, you want to, you know, get ahead in the world is like I, I put into my mind how I had to like shine on a lot of things so I could get credit for them later on my performance review. So then I could get a bonus or a raise or a promotion or whatever yeah. it may be. And so it was like the performance reviewization of my life. And I feel like that was like becoming like malware in my personality where instead of being a cool guy, being collaborative, <clears throat> being, you know, like I actually don't think I'm a person with a really high ego, but it was making me be like an arrogant high ego type person in the workplace. Cause I'm always like, I gotta get, I gotta do get, do good. And like, I, I just don't think that that's serving me well in the long run. And so how can I, you know, actively take a stance to kind of well, like that? you're always like looking at the scoreboard and see how many points you've put up. That's yeah, sort of thing. exactly. When I think that's why those kind of systems exist is because they want yeah. to incentivize people to look at the scoreboard so that they perform better. And it's like, well, what if that's a, a short term versus long term problem where maybe it helps me in the short term, but it actually hurts me in the long run? And maybe I should take a more long term orientation. And I think this is kind of my my viewpoint on it. I think it's super admirable uh, to you know do that sort of like self-reflection. Not many people have that sort of self-awareness to understand or like just like think back about like how they react to situations, this sort of thing. Yeah. As far as like getting credit, my, my orientation is I, I have a very collectivistic sort of outlook on life. Like I, I'm mm -hmm. definitely good to help everyone out and that sort of thing. And I don't necessarily need to get credit for things, but I'll be damned if someone else is going to get credit for what I did. <laughs> fuck, <laughs> fuck that. Yeah. Fuck that. Uh, <laughs> I was at a party the other day and like someone, I told someone a joke and then like, they told that same joke to other people. They were laughing. It's like, oh, no, <laughs> you don't get to fucking steal my joke and just like pass it off as your own. Well, I, I actually <laughs> I think that's funny, first of all. Um, but I've been thinking about like, what if 
like this is pretty rad. What I'm about to say is pretty radical, and I'm, I'm not saying that I'm going to fully live up to this standard. But like, what if only other people got credit for my actions and I never did? And that could be like a really powerful way of keeping my ego in check. Like, what if only other people got credit for those jokes? Um, again, yeah. I don't think no, that's necessarily even reasonable, but that's kind of this mental model I'm playing with in my mind. Is like, wouldn't that be a really kind of uh, interesting way of being in the in the moment? It's very giving. Um, it also goes against what you were saying earlier about like, how do you get ahead? Like you got to show some sort of score on the scoreboard. Exactly. I, and, I, I, um, I find myself like being like, I, I really get annoyed. I, I, I think of myself as creative. I have a lot mm -hmm. of creative thoughts and I run across a ton of people that have no creative wherewithal whatsoever. They never had a creative idea in their life. Yep. That That's what gets me. Like if I come up with something creative, and they try and take credit for that like no way oh i, I totally know. understand i felt the same way you know um <laughs> yeah it's 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 definitely it's mm. it's it's taxing if especially if it, it really benefits them kind of at yeah. your expense or something you know but i don't know it's like the man's mansplaining of taking credit sort of orientation yeah yeah I'm like i said it but i said it with like a little arm motion <laughs> and therefore everyone like oh yeah so smart over there i had more onomatopoeias involved <laughs> what oh what's that is that a word that sounds like another word boy i haven't heard automatic i thought that was a word that was like bam or splat is that what that, that is? is i can't remember maybe i'm using that incorrectly oh, oh man we're spelling oh, well this is me being vulnerable Onomatopoeia. Oh boy. Uh, the naming of a thing or action by vocal imitation of the sound associated with it. You're right. Buzz, hish. Yeah. See? There you go. Look at you. Check out the big brain on Cole. I give you credit for all of it, man. You get, uh, there's, there's nothing creative there. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we've been so positive in this past, uh, you know, like five, 10 minutes here, but you know, you want to be negative? I want to be negative. I Let's want to be negative. This out. Let's keep some harmony. <laughs> what? Give me like your three annoyances. It doesn't have to be related to you know Christmas time or any or twenty twenty four in general. But like, what are three things that annoy you and people? So I've um I came up with like twenty. Um, <laughs> I love started, this. I love this. I sort of started doing like a factor analysis. <laughs> Of all them, like, but you got to group them. You got to group them together. Yeah. yeah. And so, like, one of them was what I would call just like lacking common courtesy, right? Okay. So, like, like you text somebody, they don't text back, or they cancel a meeting last minute, but they don't like email you why, or and then like just like little basic things that it's like all it would take was five seconds, just be nice and treat me like a human being. I think and, those things are eroding too in society. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then sort of similarly, like a lot of my pet peeves fall within like this kind of vein of, uh, like people thinking their time is more important than, than mine. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Like they're just like, oh yeah, we need to move this because of my schedule. I don't mind doing that like once, maybe even twice, but if we have to move every time we connect because of your schedule, it's like, we're not, you, you're you just not, think you're not prioritizing not me. <clears throat> And I think that kind of fits into the last point, which is like any kind of behavior that treats human beings as fundamentally like the, like the, there's like unnecessary hierarchies. I don't necessarily have a problem with hierarchies, but like if you create a hierarchy where it doesn't need to exist, where we really are just peers or we really are just equals and you're treating it like we're not equals, that really grinds my gears. Um, give me an example of that. I don't fully understand. Yeah, it'd be like, well, let's let's riff off the the credit thing from earlier. It's like let's say you're on a group project and then somebody like steps up and takes credit for like the whole thing. Yeah. Like it's like they were like leading the project. It's like you weren't leading the project. <laughs> we were, this was a group. This was a team effort, and and so it's like they're creating. You, hierarchy. you did very little. Yeah, and, and and so it's like creating unnecessary hierarchy. It's like no, we're all equals here, and like you're you're treating it like it's not that case. I don't know. Do you, what, what are yours? Like, do you have any pet peeves? 
well, you, you spurred like a, a bunch of different thoughts, but I, I think that all of mine relate to having your time wasted because other people's time is more important than your own. Mm, yeah. Uh, I, I will say, I, I will get to the actual points, but you mentioned uh, the niceties in life. The other day I was walking up to the door uh, of a building Mm-hmm. And uh, I held the door for this guy to come in. Like he's like kind of lagging behind me. So I held the door for him yeah. and it's a double door. And like the other double doors, like maybe 10 feet in front and someone had gone through and it was closing. Mm-hmm. It, like, okay. Okay. Another important point. The guy didn't say thank you when I like made extra effort to open it. For yeah. me. And he's walking through and that other door is starting to close. And I was like, okay, so he's going to grab it for me and let me through. Yeah. He nope. did this like James Bond like thing around the door so he didn't actually touch it. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I called him an ass. <laughs> he, he, like, he like slid around it. <laughs> like, See, and, like, and he, he's kind of, he's so he's like now facing me through the glass door looking at me. And I'm just like, Mally, like, fucking asshole. <laughs> Dude, this is why the Cole and Scott episodes are the best. Oh, I was livid. I was oh 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 even better, even better. So we you gotta go through like um what we'll call an area and go to the uh elevators and we both wound up on the same elevator together. Oh and I was just staring, I was just fucking staring at him. It was great. I loved it. I absolutely so loved it. Was there any contrition like from the person? Did they recognize you? Nothing? It was complete like sociopath level. He, well, he realized that he had uh, offended the gods or what have yeah. you. He didn't say the natural anything. order of things. He, yeah, he didn't. He, he felt the he felt the weight of my ire, like just the uh, ambiance of it. Uh, but like, he wanted to get off that elevator so quick. He didn't ever say a <laughs> word to me. But like this, like slithering spy move to like get past the door without actually touching it. Oh my That's just perfect. Lord. That's classic. You know what that reminds me of? That's like Seinfeld, right? Like that's yeah, definitely yeah, yeah, yeah. something that would happen Absolutely. on like a Seinfeld episode. Absolutely. Um, but that that was an unplanned annoyance, and that annoyed me to know it. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. The the, the actual annoyances. Uh, okay, they're. I mean, you could actually say this for most of these in uh, all drive-through context. People that stop and check their food in the drive-through. Like before no. they actually get going, like especially no. if they move up like three quarters of a car length and at mm-hmm. the window, not enough for you to actually get there. So there is decorum for doing this because I actually do this, but I pull up far enough. Yes, because we've had this. I don't know if it's just me or whatever, but like we've had this like string of issues when you do drive-throughs where they just leave out like half your food. <clears throat> yeah. And so I've like started having to check the bag every time. But again, you have to pull up a reasonable distance so that the people behind you aren't being screwed over by it. Especially three quarters length of a car. So like you're no longer from the window. They can't get to the window. You're going to have to go inside anyway. Yeah. Right. Yep. You got to park. Yeah. I mean, like, so just go ahead and pull up. Let life take its course. Uh, people that have to get everything set in their car before they actually back out of a spot or get going. So it's like, you know, of course you got to do your seatbelt and this sort of thing, mm-hmm. but got to get the right radio station going. Got to like, you know, check the mirrors. Got to get everything. It's like, no, no, you're wasting time. Let's what get out of here. What are people doing? This is one thing I've, I've learned that I do not understand about other humans. Like what are all the things that you have to do in your car? Like I literally get in, I turn it on, I pull out. Like every time I don't understand this concept. Like there's people who spend like 15 minutes, like just doing stuff. I'm like, what are you doing? I get, I guess they're like putting in the Google map. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's fascinating at a human level, but it's infuriating when you're trying to pull into a spot at like the store or something. <laughs> there is a study. I think it's in, uh, boy, I think it's in, I think Christakis and Fowler. I think it's in their book where they measured how long it takes someone to pull out if someone is waiting. And it is like an extra like 42 seconds or something yeah. like that. I don't, don't quote me on the actual number, but it is significantly longer than if no one were waiting. That's so that's like shouting for it or something like, Oh you know, yeah. Like I'm just going to make life hard for these people. 
Yeah, that's oh well. That's uh, and and finally, once again, talk about like wasting people's time. Like people that will filibuster you. It's like just go ham on a conversation that you're like, just get to the point. I don't know what you're talking about anymore. You're just rambling. We're just gonna run out the clock. Just, we got thirty. We got a thirty-minute meeting. I'm definitely talking twenty-eight minutes of this meeting. <laughs> I guess that is a strategy, right? Just yeah. Just never pass the ball to anybody. No, I, I had an old boss that did that. Actually, I think it it really was a strategy, where they're like, we have a limited amount of time each week. I know you have stuff you want to ask me, so I'm just going to talk the whole time, so you can never get to it. <laughs> what that's no way to live man just it'd be like watching like iowa football just like we're never we're never gonna score but we're never gonna give up any points either good reference by the way (laughs) well done i watch a lot of football i watch a lot of football absolutely oh no like there's people that will trap you and like you're like like move left move right no like or like you try and change the subject and that really pisses them off well, this is this is not a pet peeve, but I'm curious what your thoughts on this. You ever meet people and they talk too close to your face, right? <laughs> close like talkers, get, yeah. Yeah, close talk. Like they just get an uncomfortably close distance and they see it as like a sign of intimacy. I Like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, if I can smell your breath, you're way too close. Like, what's going on? I, I, I've known people that will like essentially like hover over you like you no. say you're sitting at your desk and like they will come and put their chin. So it's essentially like over your like, like, the arching over you. And you're like, what do you think it's like a dominance thing? Like, are they trying to like, sh- you're like, what are they doing? I, I, I will be generous and say that it is not a cognitive process. It's a, definitely a cognitive process. I will say it's not a, a aware. It's an awareness issue. I don't okay. think that they are aware that they're doing that, but. There might, there may be some sort of like, oh, evolutionary, like deep, deep. Yeah. Some gorilla factors going on. Yeah. Some sort of like deep evolutionary shit going on. And they're like amygdala. Yeah. Like, I'm going to like lure over this person to show my dominance. I'm going to dominate you. Dominate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a lot of pet peeves. Yeah, so. anyway, that's the happy times. Happy times. Happy 2024. Well, I don't know about you, but I've got like 20 different articles to talk to you about today. The Nerdery. Do you want to go to that socket one, though, that we were just talking about earlier? Oh, uh, we, we can talk about it. Like, I don't know anything about it. Well, I, or unless I you're talking, you're, unless you're talking about Sackett's article. No, 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 no. I found, um, I found one I want to share with you. I, yeah, I thought about texting it to you, but I was like, ah, I got Christmas come early for Scott. And I'll be, I'll be honest. I'm, I'm not sure I know who this company PCI Excess is, but they, they have this article titled Sackett et al.'s revised meta-analysis estimate for general cognitive ability and job performance. Much ado about nothing. And so what they, they go, there's a lot to it, but I'm going to skip to a part um, where they, they're saying the case against Sackett et al.'s revised estimates for cognitive ability and job performance. Uh, one is that they're showing that there's a high correlation between cognitive ability and educational attainment. And therefore, when you're using educational attainment to select for jobs, you're just getting cognitive yeah, ability. That makes total this, sense. The second one is a sizable relationship between employment interview performance and general cognitive ability. I think this is the more, I'll call it like damning of the the examples because what Sackett's article is recommending is that uh, structured interviews are actually the, the most predictive. Well, if there's this sizable relationship between interview performance and cognitive ability, perhaps that's another issue. And then the last, and I think this is the point that you've made a few times, is the complexity of the job that the individual occupies tends to be commensurate with their cognitive ability. That's sometimes called the gravitational hypothesis. And they, they go into a lot of things, I think somewhat to sort of just attack Sackett et al., which I don't necessarily agree with, <laughs> but <clears throat> but their, their concluding thought, which I do agree with, is cognitive ability remains the single best predictor of overall job performance for medium to high complexity roles. And I was like, oh, this is going to be a little catnip for Scott. So what, what do you, how do you react to this? 
uh, initial reactions is like, yeah, that's exactly what I would expect. Um, but boy, there, there's so many directions to go. So the earlier points uh, relates to positive manifold, which is dates back to Spearman, created Spearman's G. So that's the general idea that uh, there's an intercorrelation between all the different um, cognitive tests. So like if you're, if you're good at spelling, you're probably good at mathematics, which means you're probably good at geography, which, you know, good at, you know, uh, whatever, um, which makes total sense. So like if you're just like essentially trading one predictor for another, if you're talking about educational attainment or if you're talking about uh, 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 interviews, this sort of thing. Anyway, uh, sorry, I'm like my mind's going like 40 different directions. No, it's fine. I, I think that Sackett is absolutely correct for low skill jobs that we've made those jobs a lot easier. So think about like a cashier mm -hmm. at McDonald's. So it used to be like you had to like type in, you know, I don't know, a dollar fifty for a burger. Now you just hit a picture of a burger on the thing, right? It's like that's way easier. It's no longer that much skill involved. But I think it also when you talk about high school, high skill jobs at the top of like say organizations where decisions need to be made, you're going to need judgment, which relates directly to cognitive ability to incorporate various sources of information, dealing with various sorts of personalities, all these sort of things relate to your ability to process information and make sound judgments over time, which is ostensibly the definition of fluid intelligence that that's another like sort of bifurcation we can talk about whether you're talking about crystallized intelligence or uh fluid intelligence i.e cattell's sort of model yeah uh but the name of the game is fluid intelligence and it dictates uh your ability to walk through a foreign airport and get to your destination it dictates uh your ability to take on new information and like incorporate different bits of information and make sound judgments. Uh, there's all sorts of research that shows that if you're in a job that um, requires more fluid intelligence than you actually have, you will actually slide back in your career down to a job that is more commensurate with your abilities. People with low fluid intelligence are more likely to die because of like they're in accidents because they make poor judgments, all these sort of things. It all kind of comes together in this fact that yes, Intelligence is still important for jobs that require judgment. Well, my, my my motivation for this was just one of the things I've seen. I think Sackett's research is probably some of the most important that's happened over the last mm -hmm, 10 or mm -hmm. 20 years. But the, there's been an overreaction to it. And the, the article talked about that there's folks that are calling that that cognitive ability like play should play no role or plays no role in selection systems as a yeah. result of the research. And I was like, that's a complete misinterpretation of what he found. Yes. And absolutely. So I think it's important that in the, when you're doing science that you call balls and strikes and say like, yeah, his research is really important and it does kind of turn some things on their head, especially about concurrent validity studies versus predictive studies. But what it doesn't do is say that there's no role for cognitive ability, especially into medium and complex jobs. And so I think you and I are kind of on the same page with this. Yeah. And like, once again, like Sackett did a great thing by first, like pointing out that the methods were flawed in the original uh, research, but two, also uh, incorporating uh, intelligence data that isn't from the 1950s. Like we have ever, we got this data laying around. We can, we can update these sort of data points. Um, and then three, sparking discussion about these sort of things. So it, it's great to revisit the Schmidt and Hunter, not just necessarily hold it up or any research. I'll make a broader point. Not any research is without the ability to pick it apart and um, uh, try to find a better model. Absolutely. But do you want to stick on the vein of um, cognitive ability for a second? Mm, sure. I thought this was fascinating. This is actually something I sent to you a while back that we never got a chance to cover um, some research from some folks at Carnegie Mellon, I believe. Um, I like this where like Cole's bringing research to me. It's usually the other way around. I know. I, I got, I got some chops, man. You, you got know? your, you got your, you got your shit. But it, it was in the, it was in the journal science, which again is very, you know, actually I think the most preeminent publication out there, but it's evidence for collective intelligence factor in the performance of human groups. So, 
what essentially what they found is that cognitive ability has usually been thought of as a individual factor, mm-hmm. but they actually found the evidence, pretty strong evidence for a term called collective intelligence, which reflects how well groups perform. Um, even when you control for things like the diversity of the group. And I thought this was fascinating in terms of, you know, like if you're really wanting to have strong team performance or strong departmental performance or strong organizational performance, that there is such a thing as collective intelligence and that it does play a role to the performance outcomes of uh, such as they, they found for uh, income and academic achievement, which I thought was very interesting. So I don't know. I thought you would find this one interesting as well. That that is interesting. Uh, so, by collective intelligence, I, I assume that they're talking about knowledge sharing between teams or within teams, rather, right? Yeah, right. they're. I think they're they're actually aggregating kind of the individual intelligences of each member of the team. Well, I mean, that's if you get to like I, I maybe misinterpreting it, but that's I thought what they did. No, I, I totally get it. Uh, boy, that, that that's an interesting question as well that comes up when you, if you ever start dealing with like teams research, like, okay, so they look at it in three ways. They have this collective intelligence, they have average member intelligence and then maximum member intelligence. Yeah. This is where I was going to go as far as uh, how do you actually aggregate these sort of teams and what they're trying to get to. So is it the average level across different groups? Like say, like say forget mm-hmm. intelligence, say we're talking about like sentiment, of their manager, like, are we, do we, are we have an overall average job and uh, satisfaction? Or is it uh, in, in certain cases, like the maximum ability is exactly what you need for team performance, right? Uh, everyone relies on the good enough, like, I, I guess if you like a, a golf round and you just take the best to the whole, something like that, that'd be essentially example of collective maximal team. Yeah, sort of. Yeah. It's like a scramble. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, but I, I really don't understand what they mean by this sort of, uh, collective intelligence. If those two things are off the table at this point, I think you aggregate everybody's intelligence together. Just sum doing. it together. Yeah. The overall sum. Mm-hmm. I, I guess if you use like average, you would like take into account the number of people on the team as opposed to, yeah. uh, my mind immediately goes to, um, what is the purpose of the group and what are they trying to achieve from an outcome? So mm-hmm. from a, like a network perspective, uh, you often think of like diverse opinions as a good thing, you know, mm-hmm. and it is great for arriving at a correct decision. So we take in all these different factors and, uh, you know, echo chambers can be burst apart because we, you know, take into account uh, different perspectives and people can like rip these apart, et cetera. But it's really slow. <laughs> it takes a, while mm-hmm. for people to battle it out if you really want to get something done but don't necessarily care if it's right or you know you want to be right enough you want it done now you need like a homogenous group a group that has severe group think they've worked together before they don't want any new ideas we're just going to work together and get it done so i mean like there's all sorts of different factors to what teams are how to aggregate it and what they're trying to achieve this is clearly your first time talking about this so. other than that i have no opinions <laughs> absolutely well do you, do you have anything that you want to cover other I, otherwise i've got some more catnip for you i i got a i got a lot of things too but uh here i'll just uh let's hit love, on some man we love giving back we love giving back let's see if i actually have this up for here i'll just read it to you it doesn't matter okay. so this paper identifies the ideal study regiment for exams right and uh the study regiment that they propose or and it shows the best uh, overall results is one study before bed. Okay. Two sleep. Yeah. And three, do a short review when you wake up. That sounds fantastic. Long-term uh, retention increased by 50%. It took less time overall doing that, which it, it flies in the face of cramming, cramming. I'm going to study all night. <laughs> no, it's bullshit. Yep. Not working. Never works. You didn't get a good sleep. You didn't review in the morning. You didn't give your brain a chance to put into long-term memory. Absolutely. I will say. Which does call into question the value of a college degree. If every exam you had in college you crammed for, 
and therefore none of it was converted into long-term memory. Did you actually get any value from this experience? I mean, like, what is the value of a college degree? It's essentially to show that you can show up to the same place four years in a row. Mm -hmm. You can perform reasonably well. You can get your work done on time and have enough wherewithal to complete it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully you learn something. And but, yeah. Oh, that, that's secondary. Yeah. That, that was always a question like, Oh, they're going to teach you what they want you to know on the job anyway. Mm -hmm. well, I, so I've got some more for you. It's sort of on the vein of, uh, were you a crammer? Did you cram? Not really. I mean, I don't know how to say like, I, I definitely didn't follow what you just described, but I had my own kind of method. Yeah. So I just like when, when I was reading before class, I would, um, I would highlight everything. Okay. Right. And then I'd cover that in the class. And then before the test, I would just read through for like two days. I just read through everything I highlighted, right? Yeah. Like two or three times. And, and then I take the test, you know? Um, and so I guess you're cool. there was a little bit of like repetition involved. I generally tried to get good sleep, I guess you could say, but I, I never did like the last minute reviews or really that much cramming unless I just was in a bad place or something. Uh, what about you? Know you? What, you know what really worked for me during comps where I think it was like 425 citations that I dug up, something like that. Mm -hmm. I had sticky notes all over my yeah. house. I think I've talked the method of loci. Uh, some people yeah. call it mem memory theater. Um, I was yeah. thinking like undergrad, not like comprehensive reviews. Oh, undergrad. Uh, that's a different ball game. If I could go back to undergrad now, I would dominate. I would absolutely dominate. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'd be a road scholar. I don't want to say like, because I mean, again, I did just go to Louisiana Tech. I didn't go to like, you know, some Ivy League institution or something, but they got, they got the same books there. Yeah, I got the same books. So, um, yeah, it just it wasn't that hard, you know. Mm. It's just not as hard as people like. I remember being in high school and we had these teachers, and they'd be like, "Oh my god, when you get to college, you know, <laughs> it's gonna be so hard." And I was like, "It was not." Uh, it just means that uh, now I can skip class, and no one bugs me about skipping class. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well. I've got an interesting one. Do you, do you mind if I take the ball for a second? Oh, you're going to do something interesting. Okay. That's yeah. Nice. Well, so um, this past week, uh, Spotify announced some layoffs, and I think they actually got a lot of like positive publicity about ethically how you would do a layoff effectively because people were like, they were very generous, I guess. But buried within their layoff announcement, there was this um, – I guess they had found by most metrics, we were more productive, but less efficient. And yeah. what he's talking about, the CEO, is that Spotify was one of these trailblazers for remote work. And they, they what they were finding is by a lot of these metrics, they were doing more work yeah. rather than contributing to other opportunities with real impact. And so like the, the basically what they're saying is their productivity went up, but their the quality of their output was going down related to um, their work. And I, I thought this was fascinating, first of all, because of what we've talked about before of how difficult it is to measure productivity and measure the impact of that productivity. Um, but second of all, I guess they have some sort of metrics that are showing that, yeah, you are more productive when you work from home, which we've heard a thousand times. Oh, I'm more productive when I work from home. But it doesn't necessarily mean that th that you're making a real impact with that productivity, which I I hadn't yeah. heard this before. Yeah, this, this has been the concern since the start of the pandemic when people said, like, you know, I can go home, I can write papers, I can make my PowerPoint decks, I, I have fewer interruptions, I you know I, I'm producing all this work, but what does it mean in the end if you're just like pushing paper, really, if you're not mm -hmm. moving the bottom line? And I th this is where like the collaborative aspects of coming to the office and, you know, people, you know, bouncing ideas off of each other. That's where mm -hmm. it really comes back. And that that's really, really fascinating. I thought I actually thought you were going to go a different direction with this, but no, um, I mean, what, what direction would that be? Uh, <laughs> well, you said ethical layoffs. 
and I, I saw this like TikTok of an organization doing mass Zoom layoffs. They get like sixty mm-hmm. people on the call. I'm like, hey, everyone on this call, like, yeah, you don't work here anymore as of right now. Yeah, there's been a lot of that. <laughs> See y'all later. Good luck. You know. I mean, one once again, like just be just because you you are doing great at the house and uh you're you're killing it as far as like producing well do do you mind if i reframe it a little bit sure go for it um like and i think this makes logical sense it's like at a complex or we've talked about complexity before and how an organization is a complex system and you really you know it, it takes all the different factors to make the outcomes occur for the organization yeah do you think that if you as an individual are the only one performing and you don't need any touch points with other people, all you need to do is to do what you're working on, no collaboration, no idea generation, nothing, that it's actually going to make a massive impact on the organization. Chances are very low that that's the case because to make an impact, just kind of by definition in a team-based work environment, it requires connections with other people, not just lone wolf performance yeah i mean the idea of a uh lone advent inventor out in the wild like it just doesn't happen like you never really see this sort of thing happen uh i i will say there are situations say for um engineers uh researchers uh creative types where you want them from a network perspective to be on the periphery of the network and not deeply involved in a series of conversations because they need to work. They need to function and they need to actually bounce around. And if if you get too close to the center, you're subject to groupthink and Mm -hmm. all these sort of motivations that just are uh, uh, antithetical to actually producing your work. So there are situations where you want that, but yes, everyone needs connections to refine their ideas and this is why i love how your level of expertise in a lot of these spaces and you can just kind of recall it maybe it's your mind palace with all the sticky notes that enables you to do that i've been watching uh sherlock lately re-watching sherlock lately he goes to his mind palace oh it's fantastic okay is that the one with robert downey jr or is this a different one oh no no it's um it came out maybe like 10 years ago on BBC. Um, okay. But yes, they did have a second one. Uh, Cumberbatch. Cumberbatch. Um, Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah. Cumberbatch. Big, big, I don't know. It's only like nine episodes total. I think it's like three seasons of three episodes or something like that. Nice. Um, what yeah. you got for me? What I got for you? Have you ever heard of the garbage can model of organizational choice? I have not. This is, this is fascinating. So it describes organizational decision-making as essentially anarchy, like controlled anarchy. So there's situations where there's like no guidelines. The understanding of technology is unclear. And uh, there's fluid participation in the actual organization as people come in and come out. And so you have this uh, situation where participants, problems, and solutions all come together in sort of a chaotic sort of system. Um, and decisions occur when all three of these meet to finally come up with a solution, but it's not as clear cut as a lot of models would have you believe it is. Yeah, I like that. It's like uh, what is called the garbage can model. Yeah. Yeah, because I think when it comes to organizations, you, you always have competing interests and in different you know individuals or groups and it does take an incredible amount of alignment to make something major happen. Um, I don't know if I've ever heard it called anarchy in the organizational context before, but maybe it, <laughs> maybe it does fit that definition. I don't know. It definitely feels like anarchy, especially when you get like in a seriously bureaucratic organization where uh, like, hey, here's the problem. You know, I would say bureaucratic is the right word, not anarchic. Like I feel like anarchy is the antithesis of bureaucracy. I, I don't know. Like when it, when it all comes together, it's like, okay, we, we got this, we got this uh, problem on our hand and we have a solution, but we got to get way in from Bob and like Sue's got to get her shit together and we got to wait for Steve and all this sort of stuff. And it's like, 
the actual solution gets molded and people's perspectives are taken into account. And like maybe that's bureaucracy right there, stagnation, but the actual output, <laughs> everything goes into this garbage can situation. Obviously this, this, it, I think it was developed in like the seventies or something like that. And it never really took off for obvious reasons. People don't like the idea that, uh, Oh, my model of organizational choice is chaos. <laughs> <laughs> that That's how, that's my orientation to. Maybe, maybe that's why so many cultures tend towards like consensus driven decision-making. It's like a, how do you have an antidote to the garbage can model of chaos is you just have to have consensus about everything. I don't know. Oh, collectivistic cultures go into uh, oh Hofstede dimensions. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. But do you mind if I hit you with one more? Hit me with one more. Hit me with one more. Probably last one. All right, last one. Make um, it good. Make it good, Cole. It's a good one. Uh, I, I've I've shared about him a few times. So Vin Vashista makes some pretty decent LinkedIn posts. Uh, one one pretty recently he put. Increasing headcount is no longer the most efficient way to improve productivity at organizations. For the next two to three years, AI will be more significant in productivity driver than hiring, which he goes on to say further on in the, in the, the post that that's actually like the first time in history where that'll probably be true is that if you, if an organization wanted to add, make, be more productive, they always hired more people. Yeah. Like even in, even in like the industrial revolution, you still had to have people that ran the machines or the looms and like a, you know, a warehouse or something. You still yeah. had to hire more people. And for the first time ever, AI will, you'll potentially see more productivity without additional hiring or maybe even, you know, layoffs and things like that. And so I thought that was fascinating that we are at this juncture in history um, where, where that might be the case. And he, I don't know why he says the next two to three years. I mean, uh, presumably you would see that trend continue into the future. Um, every, everything's cyclical. Uh, mm -hmm. what, what did Matthew McConaughey say? Like life is a flat disc and we're just spinning on it. That was very Austin of you. I, I think it was, he was in true, not true blood, uh, true detective, true crime. True detective. Yeah. True we detective. talked about this. One. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, everything's cyclical. So like, this is the advent of like the Luddites who would essentially, uh, they saw the new machinery coming into town and like they would bust it up because they thought it was going to take their jobs and uh, under penalty of death in, you know, England. Um, but I, I well, think I'm that not... AI is going to not only take jobs away, but also mm -hmm. spur new sort of jobs. Yeah, I know we've, we've covered that territory a lot before. I just thought that the fascinating he thing here that we, um, as a society, we've never experienced this. We've never experienced the time. And so we actually don't know what the outcome will be because we can't look back into some historical example. Um, like basically like all of our economic models and all of our historical like models of development of society are based on, you know, at least in capitalistic societies, you know, more people working and that being kind of a universal benefit to society. I think we just don't know what this is going to do. And um, I don't know. I just don't hear enough appreciation of that. I, I, I don't think I understand uh, because I, I think that we do, or if, if history is a guide that mm -hmm. if jobs are taken away by a technology, then they're essentially new jobs are created in their place. Uh, think, think about like the advent of like the automatic uh, telephone interchange system. Like there used mm -hmm. to be like tons of people that would just like, hey, who you calling? You calling Cole? Like, I mean, plug you in there. And like they all went away, uh, but they were replaced by, you know, other sort of jobs doing things. I, I, I get it. We, we, we don't know. I mean, but prediction is yeah. the name of the game. Um, yeah. I don't know. I've just been thinking about this more lately of just – you know, we, we talked about AI a lot on here. I'm kind of almost to the point where I'm bored talking about yeah, AI. Yeah, I get that. But one of the things that I'm trying to do more recently, instead of like trying to make prognostications about the future, which again, your guess is as good as mine, is just using logic and 
<clears throat> to try to assess this out. And, and if the logic is true in this, cause it may not be true. What if, you know, AI actually doesn't make us more productive? <laughs> like that's also a possibility. We just don't really know, but if it does, and we haven't encountered this before, what, what impacts does that have? I think again, it's, I think it's just unknown. I really, I really am kind of falling into that camp more and more as time progresses. Uh, yes, yeah, yes, and uh, I, I think that the technology is as wor the worst it's ever going to be. And what we, we've heard from other people that we've had on say essentially things like, uh, I asked to do something and I had to ask it 10 times to do so. And then I threw my hands up in the air and just did it myself anyway, just because it yep. wasn't doing what I wanted to do. In that case, um, is it benefiting your productivity? No, clearly, right? <laughs> um, it's got to get better. That's it's it's got to get better. It will get better. But I mean, there's still like room for human judging. I, I, I got to think. I got to hope. Otherwise, uh, I welcome yeah. our robot overlords <laughs> to do whatever yeah. they're going to do. I don't know. I just, I, th I think, I guess where I'm going with it, like imagine a scenario where, you know, like Google used to have, I don't know, 10,000 people and it made a lot of money. Yeah. And then it grew to like 150,000 people and it still made a lot of money, but it wasn't that much more money. But to get that additional money, they always hired more people. Imagine if Google never got past 10,000 people and they kept making more and more money, right? And they there's productivity plateaued or they're hiring just plateaued. So it's not saying that they never hire another person. It's just saying all the additional gains came from AI, not more hiring. Oh, I think that that, I don't know if we're like beating the same point to death. Um, yeah. I think that technology will always replace workers, but there's going to be other room for it. Yeah, fair enough. Dude, this has been fun. And um, let's have another good 2024 with the pod. Maybe we'll make it another six months. Maybe we won't. Who knows? <laughs> Yeah. we'll come up with new pet peeves at some point definitely exactly all right man well i really appreciate you and uh i think uh this has been a lot of fun so thanks thanks for doing this with me man happy 2023 on to 2024 absolutely all right well you've been listening to direction and correct the people and Alex podcast with colin scott and today's guest nobody all opinions are our own and do not reflect those of any other organization. You've been listening to Directionally Correct, a People Analytics podcast with Colin Scott.